Sound Words, Christian Magazine, Volumes 61-70. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. A series of brief articles. God's Spirit in His house Many Christians are more conversant with the truth of the Holy Spirit indwelling the individual believer than with the equally important truth of His dwelling in God's house. The knowledge of God's love has come to us in Jesus, and is fully and perfectly manifested in his cross, but we know God's love because it has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God has sealed us with his Spirit, who is the earnest of his inheritance, of every promise of God, and of the heavenly house in which we shall be glorified with Christ. But the Holy Spirit also dwells in God's house, as is indicated in the words of the Lord, for he dwelleth with you, John chapter 14 verse 17. In the assembly, as God's house, the Holy Spirit operates all for God's will and pleasure, and he takes of the things of Christ and shows them to us. Now that the word of God has been completed, Colossians chapter 1 verse 25, there are no further divine revelations, but the Spirit of God still ministers Christ in freshness and power. And all true worship and praise to God is by the Spirit, Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. While waiting for the coming of the Lord, the Spirit and the Bride say come, Revelation chapter 22 verse 17, and the Spirit shall ever abide with the saints, even as the Lord said, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, John chapter 14 verse 16. To die is gain, the change that death brought to the poor beggar Lazarus must have been wonderful. He left behind his degradation, poverty and pain, and was carried by angels' wings to the unspeakable comfort of Abraham's bosom. And how great was the gain for the dying thief, when he exchanged the malefactor's cross, with all its shame, reproach and suffering for the paradise of God. The ray of divine light that had revealed to him, just before he reached the portal of death, who and what Jesus was, had also exposed him to himself as a poor, wretched sinner. Meriting the judgment pronounced upon him, and now being executed. That same ray of light, which had brought to him faith in the Lord Jesus, cast him upon his grace, and brought from him the request, Lord. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. How amazing to find such a desire in one who had shunned the light of God. But it was the newly implanted divine nature that longed to have part with him whose glory he had just glimpsed. Who can tell the joy that filled the awakened soul when Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, or speak of the bliss of the moment when death brought him into the paradise of God to find Jesus waiting for him there. Death, which for him was the righteous sentence on his misdeeds, had also become, through divine mercy, and Christ's work, the portal to eternal and ineffable joy. The Apostle Paul knew the bliss of paradise, for he had been caught up to the third heavens, and heard unspeakable things that were impossible for man to utter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 2-4. This unique privilege and experience for a man living on earth would sustain the devoted servant of the Lord in his arduous labors and life of constant danger. Death held no dread for him, for he knew it would but take him into the heavenly paradise whose joys he had already tasted. Paul had only one thing before him, and that was to please the one who had called him by his grace and made him his servant. He could truly say, for to me to live is Christ, Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. He desired to be with Christ in heaven, and the pull from heaven was exceeding great, but there was another pull on earth. The loved objects of Christ that the apostles served because they were Christ's. Although death would have been gained to him, he desired to help the saints that Christ had entrusted to his care. For every Christian death would indeed be gain, for it would take him into paradise to be with Christ. But can we all say, like Paul, to die is gain? 
it is one thing to know this to be true, and another to have the feeling of it in our hearts. Christians who live in the things of this present world, finding their joy in them rather than in Christ, will hardly feel that death is gain. Phrysi suffered shipwreck. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25. When the Lord sent Ananias to open the eyes of Saul of Tarsus, whom he had called on the way to Damascus to be his servant, he said to him, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 9 verse 16. In the Acts of the Apostles, and in 2 Corinthians 11, we read of some of the great things that Paul suffered for the name of Jesus, his Lord and Master. Among these great things are the shipwrecks of our title. Paul had written the second epistle to the Corinthians some years before the shipwreck recorded in Acts 27, so that the apostle was involved in four sea disasters. The voyage on the way to Rome, and the wrecking of the ship, are given in considerable detail by the Spirit of God, whereas the three former shipwrecks are not even noticed in the book of the Acts. We can take for granted that the Lord was as interested in his devoted servant in the trials mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11 as in those on the way to Rome. But in his infinite wisdom he only records what suits his purpose, and what he desires us to know. Genuine interest, and natural curiosity, would like to know more of the details of what the Apostle suffered for Christ's name. But sufficient has been given to show that not a single moment of our lives is hidden from his all-seeing eye. And that he directs all the circumstances and conditions of our lives for his own glory and our richest blessing. Paul, having passed through many trials, was rich in experience, and having already been thrice shipwrecked he offered his advice when danger threatened but his wise counsel was rejected in favor of the experienced men of the world and of the majority. When the time of disaster drew near, it was evident to all that his wisdom excelled the wisdom of the world, but he had something else to tell his companions in their time of need. He had a message from God, a message of salvation. How meek and dignified the servant of the Lord was throughout, superior to the circumstances, restful in spirit, and with complete confidence in God and his word. Every detail of the first three shipwrecks are written in heaven, if they have not been given on the page of inspiration. And every detail of what the saints of God pass through in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus is treasured up by him who is unwearied in his watchfulness and care for those he loves, and whom he has called to serve him in this world. When the bride of Christ is seen in heaven, arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, Revelation chapter 19 verse 8, we shall know then, if we do not know now, that the Lord has observed, and treasured up for himself, all that his own have been for his pleasure amidst the trials and difficulties of their earthly sojourn. Rest and peace. When the Lord Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. He was addressing those who were laboring to find divine blessing on the ground of law, and who felt the oppression with which the law burdened them. In natural things a man expects to find rest after his labors are ended, but there was no rest for those under law, for there was no end to the requirements of the law. For the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth, Romans chapter 7 verse 1. The law burdened the spirit with its demands, and sin, which the law could not take away, burdened the conscience. The careless and ungodly would not feel the burden, for man is naturally indifferent regarding God and his blessing, but the pious in Israel were laboring and heavy laden. And to such the words of the Lord would bring cheer and encouragement. Here was one who was able to remove the heavy load, and was willing to do it, to set the heart at rest from the burden upon the conscience, and to give rest in the knowledge of what he had brought of the Father's grace.
God was no longer demanding from men, he was seen in Jesus as a giving God. The scribes bound heavy burdens and grievous to be borne upon the shoulders of Israel, and would not move them with one of their fingers, Matthew chapter 23 verse 4, but the Lord Jesus came to relieve men and to remove the heavy burden. Freed from the yoke of the law, the Lord invited the godly to take his yoke upon them, and to learn of him. He was not a hard master, and had himself come under the yoke of service to God, and in his service was meek and lowly in heart. As the servants of the Lord they would find his yoke easy, and his burden light, and have rest for their souls. The Lord only asks us to do what the divine nature finds pleasure in, and what we see perfectly expressed in himself. The Lord not only gives rest to his people, he also gives peace, for he said to his disciples before leaving them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, John chapter 14 verse 27. In a life of unwearied service to his God and Father there was everything around to disturb and distress, but amidst all, his heart had an undisturbed peace, and this is the peace he gives to his own. The disciples were about to be deprived of their master who had constantly cared for them, but he said to them, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace, John chapter 16 verse 33. Our peace is in him, and it is his own peace. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 we are exhorted to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. This will bring to us the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, a peace that will guard the entry of every avenue into the heart, and keep out every disturbing thought. This is the peace that leaves God's throne undisturbed amidst all the conflicts of the nations of the world. Moreover, if our thoughts are on the beautiful features that are seen in Christ, and if we are walking in the light of God's word, seeking his will, we can ever count on having with us the God of peace, the one who is the source of peace, and who can keep from us all that will disturb the heart and mind. Divine knowledge. Towards the close of Daniel's last revelation, the prophet learns of what would mark the time of the end, and one of these features is knowledge shall be increased, Daniel chapter 12 verse 4. The multiplication of universities and professorial chairs in many parts of the world, especially in the lands of Christendom, witness to a vast acquisition of knowledge, and that we have reached the days spoken of in the book of Daniel. The immense amount of research in the realm of natural science not only tells that man has learned much, but also declares how very ignorant man is as to the very things in which he boasts of acquired knowledge. There is however a realm into which the natural man cannot enter, and it is here that are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians chapter 2 verse 3. That mystery of God, is altogether beyond the ken of the greatest of men, unless they are born of God and have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. For it is the divine nature that gives the believer the capacity to enter into the secrets of God, and the Holy Spirit is the power for understanding what God has revealed. Moreover, the secrets of God have been made known by divine revelation, and it is God's desire that we should apprehend his secrets, even as we read. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. Yet there are things that have not been revealed by God, and which must forever lie beyond the apprehension of the creature. While on earth the Son of God said to his disciples, No man knoweth the Son, but the Father, Matthew chapter 11 verse 27, and into the holy mystery of the person of the Son none should seek to pry. We are also told in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 15 to 16, of him who dwells, in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, being finite creatures.
there must of necessity lie in the infinite that which is altogether outside of finite knowledge. God, in his wonderful grace, has been pleased to give to his saints the most wonderful knowledge, so that the Apostle John could write, I write unto you, little children. Because ye have known the Father, 1 John chapter 2 verse 13. This divine knowledge belongs even to the babes in the family of God, and the Son of God came into the world to make this possible, even as he said, neither knoweth any man the Father. Save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him, Matthew chapter 11 verse 27. There is a wide range of divine knowledge that God has given as the common heritage of all saints, and found in the oft-repeated words of Scripture, we know, and, ye know. Paul, in writing to the saints in Rome, said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, Aid 28. And to the saints in Corinth he wrote, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, 2 Cor. 5-1. Enoch and Noah. Ere the floods engulfing billows desolation spread around Enoch to his rest was taken, Enoch happy rest had found, Noah, brought through all its dangers found the ark his resting place, each secure, and each made happy. By the Lord's abounding grace. Enoch, of the church a figure, taken ere the wrath was poured, knowing, ere his blessed translation, he was pleasing to the Lord, Noah, representing Israel's remnant of the latter day. Brought through all the tribulation, happy, neath Messiah's sway. From the praise book.